Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings Worship for the Real Church. I hope you are excited about joining us today because I sure am. <laughs> Good. Me too. I'm just sitting up a little taller with anticipation. <laughs> It's so weird. If you're joining us out of real time, then you wouldn't know. But right now we're in the midst of the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic. And so Bethany and I are for the first time doing a remote recording. And uh, in, in, she's in her house. I'm in my house. We are um, connected by Zoom, earbuds in, all ready to go. And it's just so weird. But it's also, I'm so grateful for technology to be able to stay connected with the people like we never have been able to before. Anyway, Me too. It's good to see your smiling my, face. Thank you. You as well. I hope my children don't run in here. <laughs> if they do, we'll have a good laugh and it will be good because yeah. <laughs> it's real life. We're not, it's, it's worship for the real church, right? That's not right. For the, that's right. Not for the slick overproduced. Um, I actually don't know those churches, but that's the reputation some churches get. And so we just don't want to be that way. So we're going to keep it nope. real as the kids say these days. That's right. So today we're going to be talking about you. Oh, good. Yeah, and somebody else, not me, this was not me huh? who originated yeah. this, uh, said that you were very weird, which I do agree with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can you tell me a little bit before we get to why you're so weird, which you are, <laughs> and we love you that way, can you tell me a little bit about who Carl Babb is? I can. Carl is, um, gosh, he's a hero of mine. He worked with the Kentucky Baptist Convention as a part of their executive team. The KBC is um, an organization in the state of Kentucky for about 2,400 churches, and they have an executive director who's kind of the head of the whole deal. And then he has four or five direct reports who have large areas of responsibility, and then all of those people have um, dozens and dozens of people who work in their department. So Carl's area was um, kind of broad, marriage and family, um, helping pastors, staff people in their relationships with their spouses, um, church, revitaliz church revitalization, those kinds of things. And I had just found out <clears throat> that I was going to be leaving uh, what I thought was kind of a dream opportunity in ministry because a new pastor was coming in and he wanted to bring in his own worship guy and all that sort of thing. And so Carl, out of concern for me, drove an hour and a half and took me to lunch. And we're sitting at a, a really delightful steakhouse in Lexington, Kentucky. And, and he just says to me across the table, do you have any idea how weird you really are? <laughs> and I had never been asked that question before. Um, and so I guess the answer was written on my face as in what I don't, what are you talking about? I mean, I knew I'm, I know I'm not like most of my colleagues. Um, and I know that for a variety of reasons, I, some of those are positive and some of those are negative. And I don't, I don't always feel like I fit in. I don't always feel like I belong. I don't always feel like I'm talking the same language or have the same priorities. Um, and, and I don't mind that it's, usually okay. Um, but I didn't really have much of a grasp on it until he took me to lunch and just said, man, it's just going to be hard for you to find a job. Um, he said, I, I love what you do. I, I think you do it well. The churches that you've served have benefited from your service, but you're just not what most churches are looking for. 
and that really caught me off guard. And so I have really spent the last decade or so, it's been almost that long, um, trying to figure out what makes me such a weird worship leader. And so I've been asking people everywhere I go, why am I so weird? And I don't mean like family of origin and psychoanalyze me and all of that sort of thing, but just what oh, is it about? Not that. Yeah, not that. Um, <laughs> I talked to my friend Rick Ripke about those things. Um, but I would say, what, what are the things that I do that aren't normal? And I guess that's part of what Carl meant by the fact that I'm a weird worship leader or worship pastor or minister of music or whatever the lingo is. And so I, yes, I thought it would be yeah, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about the ways that I'm weird that uh, at least some people in my ministry now have affirmed as being positive weirdness. Um, we'll we'll do another podcast sometime soon about negative things. I've got a really long list. Um, today, today I really wanted to share some things that are weird about the way that I do worship ministry that might make other people be, um, I don't know, good weird a little more effective in ways that aren't expected. Um, again, these are things that other people have told me that I do that aren't normal, but that are helpful. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I actually, I love, I'm looking at this little list you've compiled and it's, yeah. it's so helpful. So the very first one is actually you're more interested in scripture and sermons than songs. How is that even possible? How can you be responsible for the music in a service? and actually be more interested in the other parts of it? Um, that's a good question, uh, the way that you rephrased it. I, I wasn't ready to answer it that way, but I love it. Thank you. Thank you for challenging me, as you always do. Um, I, I suppose I view the songs as um, certainly a servant of the scripture and the sermon. They, they should always be the ones that are washing the feet of the word of God instead of being elevated to a position that they don't um, deserve. Uh, I would say that in, even in, in reading that I've done recently in, um, in pursuit of my doctoral degree in worship studies, uh, which sounds way fancier than I mean it to be. Um, <laughs> one author said something like the psalmist himself would be disappointed in how we have elevated the level of psalmody to the same as the level of Torah. Like for the Jew in ancient, in ancient Hebrew life, they would never think that a psalm was as authoritative as the law. And yet because of our high view of scripture, which I agree with, we just tend to think that the Psalms are as important or as valuable or whatever. And so then I think we translate that. I don't want to argue that nuance, but then we tend to translate that from the Psalms that are in the Bible to songs that we sing today that have just been written in the last few weeks or months or years or decades or even centuries. And I just feel like we need to remember that the authority of God and God's word is what matters and the impact. I mean, he never said that your songs will never return to you void, but he did say my word will never return void. And so I just, I want to make sure that we keep the level of value of scripture and, and the sermons that are birthed from it higher than the, than the value of songs. One of the quick ways that that gets played out is I almost never find a new song. I'm almost always told about a new song. And then I check it out and I go, okay, yeah, we're going to do that song. That's amazing. But I'm not the guy that's out there looking for music. I don't look, I don't, um, I don't listen to radio music very much. I don't listen to 
Spotify unless it's a playlist that I created to help me prepare for worship or to help me worship personally or whatever. Um, I'm not a discoverer. I, I, I love the blessing that just came out weeks ago from uh, Carrie Job and Elevation oh, Worship. I was going to bring that up because that is all scripture. Yes. So what do yes, you do with absolutely. about those songs? Well, I'm quicker to use them. And the, the stronger the connection, or maybe even the more evident the connection between the scripture passage and the song lyric, the more I'm going to jump in and, and want to do that. I, I, I love poetic license. I am an artist of sorts. The, the longer I do this, again, I'm an old guy. I've been doing this like more than 30 years. The, the longer I do this, the more I realize I'm really not that much of a musician. I mean, compared to the people around me that, I'm, that I do stuff with, like, like you, or like our friend Martha or Sean, or I mean, I just, just rattle off all kinds of names. Um, I just look at them and go, Oh my gosh, they're amazing musicians. Like I, I can't do any of that. Uh, and I don't mean that I can't like sing or direct a choir or whatever. I know that I do those things capably, but I'm not an advanced musician. I'm just a guy that enjoys music, but loves to help other people connect with Jesus. And I think we do that more strongly through scripture and sermon, potentially at least than we do through songs. Does that make sense? Fascinating. Yes, that's fascinating. Is it weird? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely weird. How is it but, helpful? <laughs> you are around way more worship leaders these days than I am. You, you, are, you are the um, common denominator among dozens and dozens of worship leaders in this region. So you talk to people and are around people and see worshiping different venues and different styles of leadership. How, does this, how can this benefit the people that you see um, if they were just a little weirder in this way? Yeah, I think the main thing is that a lot of worship leaders, maybe secretly <laughs> or maybe unconsciously, feel like their part of the service is in competition with the rest. Mm. Okay. And so what you have said explains a really beautiful picture of serving what is happening in the rest of the service, uh, which is, I think, how it was intended to mm -hmm. be. Uh, it, it's sometimes hard to, to talk about this in these terms because, you know, when we think about the New Testament church, their services didn't look like ours at all. That's right. So what we are, I guess, maybe to try to be clear, we're being very specific about Western Christianity, um, Protestant church services uh, across denominations, but you know, a lot of them are fairly similar. There's a music time and there's a teaching time and maybe more music or, you know, so, mm -hmm. but in that, uh, I do think a lot of people feel like they're in competition with the, the announcements, for example, like those can't be important yeah. or they're in competition. The pastor always wants to take too long and then cut the song and, you know, they run over time or whatever. So I think that's the main the main way that this would be really helpful to help reshape somebody's perspective. I, yeah, I, I can see that even in a younger version of myself. Uh, I, I would have been 20 years ago far more upset, offended, mad, whatever, if the pastor said, we just really need to cut a song this week. And now I would be like, okay. I'm sorry for my volunteers who have spent some time preparing, but they'll be okay with it because they understand. Because this, is, this isn't this is just my opinion. This is the culture of our church. 
And some of that is the culture I walked into, but some of it is also the culture that I've tried to help maintain and, and nurture is that we are a Bible-based worship experience, not a preaching-based or singing-based worship experience. And, and so there's scripture interwoven everywhere in our services. We don't just like read the Bible before the sermon. We don't just have a scripture reading sometime in the service. I mean, it's everywhere. It's before songs and after songs. It's inside of songs. It's to begin the service and end the service. We just try to lace scripture throughout the whole experience, which our church has come to really value. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, this is a, a quick aside, but I, every Sunday I do the benediction, which in our church now is not a closing prayer that summarizes the sermon, which kind of frustrates me when I go to churches that are like that. Forgive me for my judgmentalism. Um, Our benediction is really, the word benediction is Latin for good word. Bene is is good and diction is word. And so I always close the service with a scriptural benediction, like number six that inspired the song, the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, et cetera. And, because we're worshiping online now this past Sunday, we didn't do a benediction at the end. And I actually heard from one of the members of my ministry that other people in our church were really sad that they didn't get a benediction at the end of the service. I love that. Not because I do it, but because of the the connection they have with the blessing of God's word in their life. And those are the things that I want to be after. I want to chase after those things. I want to serve. I want to, I want them to be hungry for the word of God, not hungry for more music. And so I, I think that's, um, yeah, that's just a, a better, more biblical, more godly way in my frame of thinking anyway, of putting together worship gatherings. The, the other thing that I think that your perspective is helpful, another way that it's helpful, is that a lot of young worship leaders, you know, are starting out trying to replicate what they see Bethel do or what they yes. see Elevation Church do or whoever else, Hillsong, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times they're not listening to the sermon part of their, they're only watching this musical production part and they feel pressure to replicate that somehow in their probably smaller, much smaller church with mm. less smoke and lights and less <laughs> instruments and less equipment and all, all kinds of things. So. I think your perspective uh, would help a young worship leader, especially take some of the pressure off of them by reminding them of what the true purpose is of what we do during that time. Yeah, thank you. I think so too. And, and to flip the script a minute, just in case there's a pastor or two that hears this, and and I hope there is. um, One of the things that makes the song, the blessing so powerful is that Stephen Furtick who is the pastor where at Elevation Church, where that song was debuted, um, which, by the way, has, last time I saw it, about 8 million views. I mean, we have 8 million people in the world who are listening to Scripture through a song. I think that's a win. But mm-hmm. Stephen Furtick was a part of the team who wrote it. And Stephen Furtick comes out on stage in the middle of the video and doesn't want the song to end. Mm-hmm. And if you want, pastors, if you want your worship leaders to not feel like you're in competition, then maybe some behavior in that direction would help a great deal. I love it when my pastor steps on stage while we're still singing. And it's just like he's another member of the worship team up there mm-hmm. singing and leading with us. It changes the dynamic, not only of the room, but of the whole church. And it makes us a more deeply and broadly worshiping people. 
as opposed to having some people in there who worship deeply and broadly. So, yeah, I, I love that the teamwork concept of I'm here to serve my pastor, but he's also here to serve the congregation and help them worship. And I think we saw that in that video. By the way, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and pause us right now <laughs> go on YouTube. Don't just listen. You have to watch. Be patient. The first two or three minutes, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's a cool song. And then somewhere around four minutes in, I don't remember exactly when, the, the <laughs> goosebumps form on the back of your arms, and they're likely to stay there for a while. So it's okay. You can come back to us. Yes. Uh, I think the rest of the content we have is going to be helpful, so come back. But go yes, watch the, the video of the blessing with Carrie Job and Elevation Worship. It's worth it. And that's exactly what happened to me, by the way. I started <laughs> listening to the song, and I was just very much like, meh, meh. Yeah through much of it and then it gets to that bridge and it's it's this whole idea of the generations being blessed i can't even hardly talk about it without weeping because i'm all about like the generations coming together to pass on the blessing that they have received yeah to to stay with (laughs) it's okay i'm I'm gonna let you recover to stay to stay with (laughs) pastor steven and elevation worship um i want to move on to the next item on our list, which is that I'm, I'm always looking to shape a community, not just lead music. And so much of what we've just talked about really is that, you know, okay. I'm, I'm not leading songs so that I can have people sing. I'm leading, I'm nurturing the spiritual appetite of a congregation so that they will crave to sing the truths of the songs that we have. That's just a diff. I don't think that's semantics. I don't think that's language. I think it's a deeper way of thinking about what we do hey, this is a cool song is so different from, can you believe this is what God's word says? Let's give ourselves to him and worship over this. You know, mm-hmm. just to think the, the way that you are shaping and nurturing your community of faith to be a worshiping people is different from, I'm going to play music or I'm going to lead music. I never think we're leading music. I always think we're leading people. And we're not just leading individuals, we're leading a community, which means we're forming the community. And so I want young people to connect with old songs, and I want old people to connect with young songs, because that unifies the community. Um, and, and I think all of that is a part of how that we shape the community, rather than just lead singing or lead, even lead worship. You know, it's, it's more formative than that. Yes, we're malleable people. I mean, you know, people say, oh, people, people don't change. That's not true. We change right. all the time. And we are formed by the culture that we are the most in, and whether that's good or bad. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, bad company corrupts good character, you know, and, and if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. So what you're talking about is forming culture, but it's because that culture forms people. And it affects their priorities and it affects what they think is important and it affects the decisions that they make and it affects the thoughts that they think about God and about themselves and about the church and, and so forth. So it's, it's super important. And in addition to that, I think you're also saying you're leading people, not just your congregation, but you lead your team. Mm. And I, I know that your heart is always to develop the people that you lead with to be better at that also. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I I had not thought of this recently or intended to say it today, but again, going back and talking to the 25-year-old Rod Ellis instead of the 54-year-old Rod Ellis, I wish I could say your age and your experience and those things have very little to do with your ability to pour into other people 
what has to do with my ability to pour into somebody else is how much I'm letting other people pour into me and primarily Jesus. Like if he's pouring into me through his word, through prayer, through worship, through relationships that make me fill up, then I'm not trying to fill other people up. I'm just emptying out the stuff that's being poured into me. And that is a way that I can pour out to people. It's not from a position of superiority. It's from a position of service. And so I want to serve the people around me by pouring myself out to them. But I also want the people around me to, to serve me by pouring themselves out to me. And that's not an age thing. That's not an experience thing. It's not an expertise thing. I I learn about worship from people who have very little musical ability all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's the the whole idea that that we're just pouring ourselves out to one another that facilitates that kind of cultural transition that that we're talking about. It it becomes, um, the theologians call it mutual indwelling. And they refer to it first in in the way that Jesus relates to God. Um, John 17, all of those passages. My favorite. Yes, I know. Um, But yeah, the, that God, God is in Jesus and Jesus is in God. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. The Spirit is in, you know, the, the Trinity is always mutually indwelling, which is a model for the way that we are with one another, that, that God is dwelling in me and God is dwelling in you and, and we dwell together. And, and that kind of community is what we're after. And that can't happen because there's a really cool guitar riff. But it can happen because there's profound transformation that happens when truth of scripture is sung in a way, as the podcast title says, so every soul sings. Every soul. That doesn't happen because you lead music well. That happens because you form community well. So I'm just always after that Mm -hmm. and and love to be a part of a church like that. How do you think that idea translates into different denominational settings? Because I do think that different denominations possibly or even specific churches even, you know, Mm. have, I don't want to say sacred cows. (laughs) They do. We all do. Yeah. Things that that, that they think are essential for that type of service to have. What would you say to that? Um, We're going to do a whole podcast around this theme. So I just touch on it here. The, um, I think it's more important to be biblical than Baptist or biblical than Methodist or biblical than Vineyard or biblical than whatever. Uh, And and I know that that can create tension, but I honestly believe I've done a very limited study of church history. I'm doing more right now than ever in my life, but it's still very limited. I don't think John and Charles Wesley wanted to form Methodism. They just wanted people to be more biblically grounded in their faith Yes. Uh, I think the same for John Smith and, and Helwitz, who formed the Baptist denomination in this country or, or in England before coming here. I, you know, for all of us, for John Wimber, I mean, all of us, they weren't looking to start a denomination. They were looking to get people more firmly rooted in biblical truth and living that out. And then what happened was that looked so different from what was already there. Then people started to gather around them. And eventually that became a a Bible study and then a church and then a movement and then a denomination. But all of it was an effort to be biblical. I I don't know of anybody who has started a Christian denomination who thought, I want to start a new denomination because that sounds like it'd be cool. You know, it's, (laughs) it's not, it's not why we are separate. We are separate because the way that we understand and interpret the Bible. So let's just keep going back to the Bible. Um, I'm going to save my favorite story about that for the, 
podcast we'll do, oh, let's just do it next. So if you're listening now, you can come back next time. You can go <laughs> ahead and subscribe, by the way, so you don't miss the next episode. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of my favorite, most tragic stories of my career. And, and I don't ever want to be the guy that's known as being a Baptist. I want to be the guy that's known as being in love with Jesus and helping people connect with him. And if I do that in a Baptist context, great. If I do that in a cross-denominational context, that's fantastic. If I'm invited to lead worship in a church that's different from mine, I hope they can't tell. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I believe in our Baptist distinctives. I kind of am Baptist because I'm, it's on purpose. I, I've had opportunities where I could have gone to a different tradition, but I, I actually believe the stuff I believe, but that doesn't mean that I have to, it never takes primary importance to me, I guess, is the way to say that. And I want us to lead worship in a way that reflects our denominational values, regardless of what yours are. They should direct, they should reflect your values, but they should certainly be far more um, rooted, grounded, based in, and, and expressed of what the Bible says than what our denominational handbook or whatever says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, those are the things I want to fight for. If it's a Baptist distinctive, I'll let somebody else have the fight. If it's a biblical <laughs> distinctive, I'm going to put the gloves on and come out swinging. Not a hill you just, want to die on. Yeah. And the Bible doesn't need me to defend it. God doesn't need me to defend him. But other people might need me to stand up for what the Bible says or what God has said. And I want to make sure that I'm serving the people around me by standing up for the things that God has said are true and are valuable to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you touched on this earlier. Uh, you said that you are, are an artist, not necessarily you don't consider yourself a great musician. So what would you say to people who who are, you know, very artistic, mm. extremely creative and driven to excellence in music and sound production and video production? Would you say that that's a bad thing or a a wrongly placed priority or because I think that is a motivating factor for a lot of people who are in worship ministry. Yep. And I love it. I, if, when I say that, I say that with some level of regret about my own level of excellence. I wish I were better. I, I wish I could sit at the piano by myself and lead a large room of people, um, just because I have that giftedness. I wish I had practiced more. It's a regret. It's a lament for me, not something I'm proud of. Um, Same thing with a guitar. I strap on a guitar. I can play a couple of chords. I just can't change very quickly between them. So I'm fairly useless (laughs) as a guitar player. That's Um, important. It is. It is really important. (laughs) I don't have those muscle memory things. Uh, No. In fact, I would say the greater your gift musically, the greater your obligation to use it to serve the bigger picture. I just read in my devotional time, I think yesterday, and I think it's in Luke, um, that, you know, for those that, that much has been given, much will be required. When you have a great gift, when you have a great ability, my goodness, um, God invested in you. Like, make sure the return on investment is massive. And the way that I think about this is a very unlike, I suspect this is weird because, you know, it fits with the theme of the day. Um, I was in marching band at high school. I loved marching band. I was a tuba player, which makes me a geek and an outcast. But I loved it anyway. um, When I started in marching band, I was in eighth grade because I was a tuba player and the high school needed more tuba players. So I actually got to be in the high school marching band as an eighth grader. 
which wow. was so fun and kind of wrong. Um, and and uh-huh. we, we lost every competition we went to. We went to four band <laughs> competitions that year, came in last place at every one of them. We were terrible, awful. <laughs> I stayed in marching band for five years. And by my senior year, we went to five band competitions and we were grand champion of every one of them. It oh, was wow. so fun. It was amazing. Now, it wasn't because of the tuba story. section. It is a great story. <laughs> um, I, I think we, we rode the wave with them, but we, didn't, we, didn't, um, we weren't the rising tide that raises all ships. Um, <laughs> the thing I remember about marching band was every competition on the bus afterwards, the band director walking through the judges' scores with us. And the most important score, the one that matters more than all the others, all the others matter, but the one that matters more than all the others is called general effect. How did, how did the band's performance have an effect on the audience? And if general effect was pegged, you know, 50 out of 50 or whatever, then the other scores were likely to be high, but they didn't have to be. You know, the, the color guard might have, somebody might have dropped a flag or a rifle and they would have gotten dinged for that. But if the general effect gave the whole audience chills, mm-hmm. then the band was a winner. And I want to think that way about the worship encounter. I want to think about the general effect. And that allows me to let the small things that actually make it better be important, but not be driving what's most important. And so that's what I would say to those who have supreme um, musical skill as an instrumentalist or a vocalist or as a technician. Like, thank you. You can make us better. You can make the general effect more effective but what you do must always serve the general effect. And when it does, then the whole experience is more engaging and therefore has the potential to be more transforming. Now, having said that, I'm not trying to step into the role of the Holy Spirit. We as worship leaders don't transform people. God does that. That's right. But we create space and time and sound that creates the right context for people to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit doesn't need us to do that. He, he, he is not saying, oh, man, I hope Rod gets it right this week. That is, <laughs> he is not dependent upon us, but he invites <laughs> us in, which is an extraordinary privilege. And it's one that I think we should take seriously and, and do all that we can to make the right space so that he can do all that he wants to do. And I'm not sure I have great theology around that. I'd like to think more deeply and carefully about it, but that's kind of where all of that wraps up. So anyway, the answer to your question is, okay, good. It's biblical that that God partners with us for just about everything, not everything, but just about everything, you know, taking care of the garden and populating the earth and building the ark and walking around Jericho. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Why yes. does he do it that way? I, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I yeah. don't know. I why. wouldn't pick me. If I were <laughs> him, I would just have passed right by me and gone to somebody else. But he does pick us. And I'm so glad that he does. And what an <laughs> honor. So everything that we do as individual people with our excellence should serve the general effect. And my goodness, I'm, I, I, I kind of uh, slammed guitar riffs earlier, but there have been times when I've been in worship services and somebody did something on the guitar that moved my heart toward Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's a win. Yes. Shout out to the, all the guitar players now. Absolutely. <laughs> but if there's a guitar riff that makes me think, what an amazing guitarist, then that's the wrong motivation. And, and now that can be my heart as the worshiper and not the heart of the guitar player. But sure. if, so if the guitar player is saying, hey, you guys, check this out, 
or check me out. That's not the, that's not what we're after. But if the guitar player says, plays something in such a way, I'm sorry, guitar players, we could pick on bass players, or piano <laughs> players. My wife plays flute. We can pick on flute players, you know, any of us, but if any of vocalists, if we do a vocal run that just makes people go, wow, that guy's got chops. Well, that's just not what we're there for. We're there so that people say, wow, Jesus is better than I remembered. And that's the general effect that we're after. That's so good. Yay. Now you keep referencing your age. I'm not going to reference mine, but you are older than me. I am. So is it true that you are an only hymns person or you don't like mm. new songs? You do like the blessing. We, we have established that. Yeah. It's what interesting. do you do with I old songs, the, new songs? I think the old people in my church think I don't like hymns. Uh, and the young people in my church think I don't like modern music, which I think <laughs> makes me a winner. Um, yes. I, I love it all. I, I tell you, if I had to pick five favorite hymns, it would be so hard for me. I know it is well with my soul and greatest thy faithfulness and amazing grace would be in that list. I, how great thou art would be in that list. Once I get to those, past those four, there are like 120 that I want to put in slot number five. Cause I love those. Hymns. I love really old songs. I mean, I'm so weird. I actually like, Oh, come, Oh, come Emmanuel chanted in <gasps> unison. Like, I me, think that's me, just me. spectacular. That's my favorite yeah. Christmas song. Or, um, one of the reasons I love how deep the father's love for us is because it sounds like a chant melody to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it when we sing it with the beautiful piano part or whatever that goes with it. But I love ancient music. Like mm-hmm. I, I sang the Duraflay Requiem in grad school and I got to be the baritone soloist for that when we did it. And I, my, my heart melted. It's just beautiful. I love old music, mm-hmm. but I really do like the blessing that is only as of now. <laughs> a couple of months old. I mean, it was written like on a Thursday. They sang it on a Sunday and recorded it. Like it's incredibly fresh. Yeah. And I love that. And, and I really do love new music. I have church members all the time saying, Hey, can we sing this song? I just had one of those Facebook conversations this past week. Um, and somebody said, can we do this song? And I said, Oh, I would love to. Here are the four I have ahead of it already in the queue. And I just love new music. I, I think there's so much good stuff. Um, that, that doesn't necessarily make me unique. I think there are actually quite a few of us who are that way. Mm. But I'm not sure that we all, um, how do I say this in a way that doesn't sound weird or than an answer. Um, <laughs> but we've already I, established that. So. <laughs> I want my face to look like I love Jesus as much on any song as it is on any other song. Mm. And if I do that, then I'm helping my people see that I love Jesus. I don't love a song. Mm-hmm. And I, from what I understand, that's not normal. Now yeah. I, I do, I, when I watch a worship, you know, somebody will send me a video, so I'll watch it again. I'm not going to be the guy that goes and finds it, but when somebody sends me a video and I watch it and I'll watch the worship leaders that are the worship leaders that we all um, look to, then I tend to see them do that. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, which I just watched weeks ago because we did a fairly new setting of that by Christy Knuckles. Um, you know, she looks to me like she loves as great as I faithfulness as much as a song that she and her husband, Nathan would have written 10 years ago when they had their, their fabulous duo group um, that I loved. Uh, so I, I do think that's part of it. It's the way that w- it's the way that people perceive that we love Jesus through music rather than just loving new songs or loving old songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me weird and I'm okay with that. Well, and I think you can translate that uh, meaningfully to your band as well. Mm. Yes. Good or bad, right? Yeah. Yes. 
you yeah. can say, you know, hey, hey, everybody, we're doing this brand new great song, and we have to do these other songs that everybody knows. Yes. For example. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have learned from my pastor, Tim Harris, that I'm so glad we got him in because I don't know if we've ever had a podcast where I didn't brag on Tim. <laughs> um, but I've learned from Tim to just think more consistently about how does this serve our people? How does this serve our people? How does this serve our people? And so when we do an old song, even if it's not one of my favorites, and I know it's going to serve a, a meaningful chunk of our congregation, I delight not just in my love for Jesus, but my love for those people. Yeah. And, and I will want to lead my band to do the same. Like you guys, I know this may not be your favorite song, but can I just tell you a story about somebody that this is their favorite song and what it's going to do for their soul this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that keeps us all in the posture of serving the people we've gathered to lead rather than serving the music. And I would always rather serve God first and people second and then music somewhere down the road from that. So that, again, that may just be a little weird, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. And that was, I think the last point there, which you really just touched on just now is that your goal is really not to Mm. make great music, have your church be known for great music uh, primarily. Now that may happen and that would be awesome, but it's to help people walk with Jesus, to see Jesus, to experience him and to grow in their knowledge of him. Yeah. And that phrase is one of my favorites around that same time that I had lunch with Carl Babb. I had, I had lunch with a, a buddy, Dave Miller with leadership pathway. Uh, check it out. Leadershippathway.org. I love the work they do. Hey Dave. Um, but Dave said, I know you want to help people walk with Jesus, but what do you want to do? It's like, I don't know, Dave. I, I want to be a preacher. No, I want to be a worship pastor. No, I want to teach. No, I want to, I, I don't know. I don't even care as long as I get to help people walk with Jesus and that because that is what I want to do, it shapes the way that I do the, what I do. And so when I'm preaching, which I don't get to do very often, but when I'm preaching, I'm preaching in a way that helps people walk with Jesus. When I'm leading a song or leading a rehearsal or teaching the choir or having a conversation with a young worship leader, I just, I want to help them walk with Jesus. Cause I think, I think the testimony of scripture is if we're all helping each other walk with Jesus, the world becomes a really different place and it doesn't have better music. It has better Christians. And if we have better Christians, eventually we'll have better music. And in fact, if we had, if we had better enough Christians, we would have the best music that's being offered on the planet. And because that's the power of the redeemed believer. And so I just want to help people walk with Jesus and, and, I sometimes get in trouble because I want to talk about Jesus more than I want to talk about the form of the song or, you know, I, and I do that stuff. I don't, I don't, you know, you guys come to Woodburn for a rehearsal sometime. We have fun and we do make music and we do rehearse and we do make sure that the chords are the same when everybody plays at the same time. And we do things like at this moment, yeah, at this moment, we're all going to choke and have a moment of silence and then everybody reenters and there's power. And like, I do look at fine tuning of music, but it's all to make the text to come alive because if the text comes alive, then people connect with Jesus and then they come alive in Jesus and that changes everything. And that's, I think what, what I'm after. So those are some of the ways, some of the many, 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 many ways that I am. <laughs> that you are so weird. I am so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Except for, can I just say, because conversations I have with other worship leaders, I don't think I'm all that weird. I think the other people I talk with have those same convictions. 
I think sometimes they get drowned out by other convictions. And so if anything, I would challenge you to say, maybe just think about how you can let these weird things be a little bit more what you're known for, how you're remembered when you walk away from that congregation or when you die or whatever. Like, let these be the things that you are known for rather than the things that right now people are knowing you for, because these matter more. And if you disagree with me, I I love you. I respect you. If you can convince me to change my mind, I promise you I will. But at this point, these are my convictions. and, And this is the... I just think we need more better Christians more than we need more better music. And I want to help us get there because that's the way, that's the way renewal happens. That's the way the church becomes a force in the world. Like we have not seen in our lifetime. And so that's what makes me weird. I love it. Any, any, thank you. I, I, I'm so glad you do. Any closing thoughts from you, Bethany, anything that that spurned in your, your, your brilliant brain? Yes, and the fact of the matter is that even the fivefold ministry gifts of pastor and prophet and teacher and evangelist are not to do the work of the church. They are to equip the people to do right. the work of the church. And yep. that's really what you've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. yeah. So, so go equip. Go equip. Um, go help people walk with Jesus. If if you do these things, I, I don't know for sure because I'm only in my context and my context may be different from your context. But I suspect that if, if you are more interested in scripture and sermons than in songs, and if you're trying to shape a community, not just leave music, and if you're um if if you're really trying to create an experience and serve people rather than just be creative and, and musicians, if if you really love the songs that you sing, all of the songs because you love Jesus and because you love the people you're serving. And, and if you are able to help people walk with Jesus, I think that your church is going to be more than it's ever been a church where every soul sings and you're going to be so loved for that. Your God can't love you any more than he already does, but your people can and they will. So let's do it. Let's make worship for the real church. So every soul sings.